I'm Brian. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. The Major Spoiler Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers. So if you haven't checked out the stuff that we're going to be talking about, you might want to come back later. In this episode, dinosaurs, web comics, scrolls, and Steven and I go to town on a comic book that's going downhill fast. And we do have a special guest joining us on the show this week, all the way from ExtraLife.com, the webcomic that pokes fun at gaming and geek culture, Scott Johnson. Welcome to the show. Hey, Steven. It's good to be here. You missed the my on the domain, oh. but everyone does, so don't feel bad. Yeah. Everyone missed it. <laughs> well, it's confusing because you've got MyExtraLife.com, but it's Extra Life Radio instead of My Extra Life Radio yeah, and all that the good comic stuff. is Extra Life. Yeah, it throws everybody off, and I wish to heck. I own that domain, but the guy who owns it wants $67,000, and I don't have that kind of cash. Say what? Oh, it's crazy. So, Scott, every time we have a a new guest join the show, we're going to run you through a couple of uh, questions. Tell us a little bit about you and your website. Well, sure. Um, My website, uh, I'll start with that, started back in 2001, June to be specific. And uh, the goal there was to create something that would keep me drawing every day. And um, I love to draw. I've had my whole life. And I thought, well, what better way to do this than to put a comic online? I'd seen it done a few other times. This is back before uh, it was so prominent now. Now there's so many web cartoonists that it's, it's almost uh, mind-boggling. But at the time, there was a handful, and I thought, well, I'll join this handful and see if I can do it. And again, the goal initially was just to you know, create a way for me to be creative and do it on a regular basis. And it has uh, grown considerably since those humble days from... Nobody's looking at it. To uh, today, we do about thirty-five to forty thousand unique visitors a day. Wow! Uh, they come there for the comic, for the blog, uh, for the different podcasts, uh, the forums. Uh, there's always something going on over at myextralife.com, and um, I'm very happy with uh, where we're at right now. Cool. So, this is a podcast about comics, and you do web comics. So, surely you've been reading comics for a number of years. How many years have you been reading comics? Well, I'm a huge fan of comic books, and um, and not just that, but also, you know, syndicated comics back in the 80s, especially. I was, I was huge into things like Farside and, and uh, Calvin and Hobbes and uh, various others. And, I, and, you know, that was big to me. But printed comics in general have always been a big deal. Um, I was an avid, almost freakish fan uh, with a, a great obsession for Mad Magazine uh, back Weren't in the we day. All? And artists like Mort Drucker. Uh, and Jack Davis, these kind of guys were hugely influential. I mean, these guys in their 80s and 90s now, but at the time, oh, I just thought, I want to be these guys, especially Mort Drucker. He had probably a, a, a bigger influence on me than any artist I've ever seen. And um, I couldn't wait for every every issue of Mad Magazine to come out. I still have them all. Um, I was a big fan. And there were also, of course, comic books here and there. The, the problem I ran into is I was kind of intermittent. I'd watch, you know, I'd read a ton of them in the early 80s. Then I kind of slacked off for a while. And then in the late 80s, I picked up a bunch of stuff again, kind of the, the late McFarlane Marvel years, uh, kind of a, a, a major rejuvenation of the, of the industry seemed to be happening then. And I could kind of sense it myself. So I got really into it then and kind of slacked off again for a while and then keep jumping back in and jumping back out. Um, lately, I'm, I'm really enjoying actually quite a few titles you've recommended to me. So um, I'm happy to be back in the regular reading saddle again. So the big question then is, with all these comics that you, you have lying around, and you said you still had your mad magazines, do you bag and board them, or do you just leave them on the floor? Bag and board, baby. Unless it's something I found somewhere, and it was already kind of thrashed, and who cares? And I'll just like have it hang around. But if I if I'm, uh, you know, have my faculties about me at all, I'm, I'm bagging and boarding just about everything I have. 
Cool. Well, Scott Johnson, welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thrilled to be here. Thanks. Okay, guys, uh, we always start off the show with a little bit of news. Uh, I've got a whole list of things right here, but a couple of them probably that's a, a pretty big deal is that Hellboy trailer that uh, just dropped this past week. Who saw it? What'd you think, Rodrigo? I'm excited. Um, I got to say, it looks like they're going even more over the top with special effects, um, but, you know, Guillermo del Toro hasn't let me down yet with, uh, you know, Hellboy and Pan's Labyrinth. That stuff was all great, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Brian? Nope, I haven't had a chance to see it, but I didn't, and, and I, frankly, I didn't see the first one either. It's not from uh, want of not, you know, from not wanting to. I just haven't had an opportunity, but I do look forward to, at some point, trying to play catch-up, because I do like the character. I've only been introduced to the character a little bit, but I'm interested in it, and I like what they're doing with it. And Mr. Scott. Well, uh, I am absolutely freaking out of my mind thrilled about this movie. Um, I really liked the first one, although I thought the, the last 20 minutes was a ridiculous CGI monster fight that I could have done without. Um, but on the whole, I love the feel of it. I think Del Toro is an, an amazing director. Um, I love Pan's Labyrinth. The one thing I noticed about this new trailer is it is very Pan's Labyrinth-esque. Yeah, that's what I thought, too, especially with the introduction of the uh, character that had eyes everywhere except right on its skull. Yeah, the Chamberlain or whatever the heck they call it. Um, it, it looks like something straight out of Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, so do a few other things. I think just the kind of general color use um, yeah. and scheme of things sort of looks a bit like that. I, I'm on the fence as to whether that's a good thing or a bad thing on the on the whole. I think it's probably just indicative of Del Toro giving uh, being handed a lot more creative control this time. Yeah, and, and I think. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. I, I think the. Uh the subject too, because the the previous one was about demons. This one is about like the fair folk and um, you know those uh, kind of Gaelic myth type stuff. So and that's similar to what Pan's Labyrinth was about. So maybe is, this is just how Del Toro sees you know fairies. Yeah, it's obviously he, you can obviously see that he enjoys this look and feel. And 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 I and for one anyway, I really like it. I think it, I think it fits well. Is it is it a muted color scheme? Because that's the one thing I saw when I saw clips of Pan's Labyrinth that that the color scheme looks real muted and kind of flat. Is that what he's doing with this? There's there's some of that. There's a lot of sort of dark uh, reds and um, sort of strong like there, you see a lot of golds. It's mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. It's it's either very muted cool colors or very dark warm colors. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment, and the the, the golds especially are, are very, very noticeable here in this. And um, I don't know, it's just a it's a look that is pretty unique to him. I just don't want you know. I'm just hoping that he doesn't make a string of ten movies that all sort of look the same. Um, but beyond that, I'm I'm extremely excited. I I don't really like Jeffrey Tambor much, but I guess I can swallow having him in there one more time. <laughs> okay, does anybody care about Heroes and Chuck getting the uh, getting the go ahead for the next season on NBC? Nah. <laughs> nope. I don't really care either. Really? Heroes disappointed me horribly last year, and so I'm, I'm not feeling it this year. Yeah, and you know, even the creators of Heroes said, hey, we made a mistake. We thought everybody wanted a long, drawn-out story again, but instead everybody wanted that short little, let's get to the action. So they said in Season 3 they're going to pick that action up a lot more than they did in, in 2. I'm still going to join on the on uh, the bandwagon for the show, and I really do like the Chuck series. I, I don't know why. Do you guys not like Chuck at all? You know, I never really picked it up. Um, I, I saw it, and it's like weird, awkward nerd becomes a secret agent. It, it seems like uh, 
a movie from the early 80s <laughs> as That's far a as a point. as far as a premise i was like eh, you know i don't like the, the girl's attractive but a lot of girls on tv are attractive i'll watch another show with an attractive girl in it yeah i'm not i'm not a big giant fan of of chuck either it just never really grabbed me um i, I will say this and i don't you know hey if the if the heroes producers are listening great but what you need oh, to do, not. since you've patterned so much of what you've done on comic books, go back to the basics and realize that people don't want to be told over and over new exposition about a character discovering his powers. If we, we know what Peter Petrelli, Petrelli is capable of, you don't need to have him lose his memory and rediscover it all in the second season. That was a colossal mistake, in my opinion. Yeah. And what they need to do is start moving to some villains and start moving to some fights and some battles and and take the cues from your inspiration. I don't I don't see uh, I don't see why that would go wrong. Yeah, I would agree. I think um the you know, a little bit more exploration of the powers and yeah, I mean, who is out there getting these powers who is not a hero? Um yeah. even if they're not villains, what are they doing with their powers? Last week, we made the big major spoilers announcement about the uh, major spoilers hero drive, where we're trying to raise money for the hero initiative based on the number of people that subscribe to the show. So the more people that subscribe to the show, the more money that uh, hero initiative gets. So we're hoping everybody continues to do that. Spread the word, tell your friends, all that good stuff. I promised you we'd have a second big announcement this week. And for that big announcement, I thought we'd let Scott tell us all about this next big thing. Yeah, well, the next big thing for me, this is a huge thing for me. Um, well, I'll give him a little background. A year ago, I decided on a fluke, basically, that we would, around the Spider-Man movie, uh, create a bit of a convention, a mini convention, a, a, an informal get-together of the Extra Life uh, uh, podcast and webcomic readership and listenership. We thought, hey, let's all come, whoever lives in Utah, and I figured it'd be, you know, a dozen people. Whoever lives around here, hey, sign up for tickets. I'll rent out a movie theater. We rent out a 100-seat theater, and we'll go watch Spider-Man together and hang out and have some prizes and you know, make, it, make it a fun time. Well, to my surprise and shock, tickets sold out in an hour. And, uh, wow. I was blown away. And what I was more blown away by is there were people from around the country, and one guy came all the way from France uh, to see the uh, proceedings. And uh, that just blew my mind that people would be that interested in, in a two-hour movie that frankly wasn't all that great anyway <laughs> and uh so the the beauty of this was it really inspired me last year i thought man we could go bigger and cooler this year i know that there's more interest the fan base is growing so here's the big announcement uh coming up on july 19th of this year we are going to have the nerdtacular 2 the 2008 nerdtacular dark knight edition uh we will be uh not premiering because it'll be the following morning but we will have our own reserve theater to see batman the dark knight Sequel to uh, Batman Begins, of course. We're extremely excited about that movie. I think we'll be a bit more pleased with the film than we were with Spider-Man last year. Um, and it's going to be huge. This time we're running a 235-seat theater. It's the biggest theater in, uh, in the area that I live in, and it's, uh, like, it's like an airport in that place. So we're really looking forward to that. We're going to have food afterwards, a whole bunch more prizes. And I am proud and pleased... Uh, to let everybody know that Major Spoilers is a one of the chief sponsors of the event, and um, I couldn't be happier to to, to tag tag that name onto some of the stuff we're going to give away, and make sure people know that Major Spoilers is uh, really kicking it in. So, uh, big thanks, Stephen, again for for all you guys are doing. No problem. We sponsored last year's event when Scott was like, "Oh man, I don't know how I'm going to pull this off." I was like, "Scott, 
Uh, how about uh, become a sponsor? And this year we want to make it bigger. Yep. So we stepped up and, and brought it again. And, and I can't wait. Uh, I've been kind of hinting to the wife that, uh, uh, honey, would you mind if I left for about two days to go see a movie? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It sounds so weird there hear what that is but you know looking if you come that'll be awesome you're an all-star that'll be just wonderful there are others coming from different points in the globe uh that i'm frankly shocked that they're coming at all uh this should be a big deal this year and i am extremely nervous because i don't i'm not missed i'm not great with standing up and having people cheer your name that really freaked <laughs> me out last year and I'm, I'm still not comfortable with that but i am excited about the idea of this growing and, and who knows in coming years this could become a you know, a minor convention that, that people attend every year, and I'm just happy to be here for the ride, to be honest. Well, you know, we're going to be talking uh, web comics in the future, and one of the bigger web comics is Penny Arcade, and they have their Penny Arcade extravaganza, that, that PAX convention that kind of built up kind of the same way. Are you hoping that the Nerdtacular becomes that big, that huge? Well, that would be great, because uh, they have some serious sponsorship uh, going on. They have some incredible... Uh, uh, swag and things that they get to give away. They're able to use an entire convention hall. Um, they're able to do a lot of really cool stuff that I would be thrilled with if we could ever get it to that point. Um, I think it's you know I think it's safe to say that right now, trying to keep my head below the clouds a little bit and consider this just a great fun way to get people together and celebrate um, you know what people enjoy about the community and about extra life in general. But if it grows to something that big, hey, I'm I'm more than happy to help uh, support it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna need some help then. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. Cool. And uh, for more information, people can sign up. People can find more information where. Yes, the signups will start shortly. Um, not quite ready for that, but it'll be close. But the place to go is nerdtacular.com. N-e-r-d-t-a-c-u-l-a-r.com, and uh, you'll find a little holder there page there right now. Expect more information coming soon including information about the event itself, uh, how people can come, get involved, and uh, even participate as additional sponsors if they like, and all kinds of stuff. So it should be good. Nerdtacular 2, Electric Boogaloo, coming up June, July 19th. July 19th, July of this year. It is going to be a blast. Can't wait. Well, let me just give a little word of warning. I went to a comic book convention this past weekend in Kansas City with my wife and my son. You can see some pictures of it up there on the Majorspoilers.com website. But one thing that I will say for people that are going to these conventions, please shower, please bathe, please use deodorant. Because my wife is right at armpit level for most people. (laughs) And about an hour and a half later, she's like, I just can't stand the stink. (laughs) That's terrible. Is it the uh, full Star Wars regalia that the uh, the the 501st was there dressed up in their uh, battle uniforms and everything. A couple sand crawlers, a pirate, I saw that. Uh, I didn't wait in line for Kenny Baker who played R2-D2, although I doubt I would have seen him anyway. Um, But uh, He is very short. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you you know that R2 unit that he stands in all day, you know that thing stinks. Oh, it's got a smell (laughs) rack. So people going to Nerdtacular, please uh, please take care of that stuff. Be a classy nerd. Bathe beforehand. That's right. Let's have a hygienic event. That's all we're hoping for. So one of the things that we like to do on the show, Scott, is do reviews of comics that we've read and comics that we've enjoyed, sometimes comics that we hate, uh, just to pass on to the listeners what works and what doesn't work. And I think today we've got some good titles that you might be interested in reading and maybe Absolutely. some titles that you might want to avoid. So why don't we start things off? How about with Rodrigo this week with uh, his review of Neozoic? All right. So we're going to be dealing with dinosaurs a lot today. Um, so I just thought I'd make it two for two for me and uh, review Neozoic. Um, it's uh, by Red Five. Right. It's um, from the same uh, studios that do Atomic Robo. So 
Yeah, Atomic Robo. Um, I would urge most people to skip this one. Um, there were a lot of issues with it. A lot of minor issues. Um, the art, it like there are no like black lines in it. It's all done in like this red like sepia kind of color um it gives it, the whole book a very soft look um the coloring is strange is like when certain characters are indoors it looks like their hair is a different color so it's like there's a there's like a purple hair chick and a red hair chick and maybe they're the same person and that's not a plot point they might just actually be the same person and it's confusing um the dinosaurs are supposed to be feral, but they have kind of cartoony expressions on their faces. It kind of kills some of the thing. Um, the Some of the characters have, like, weird tribal names, but there's a guy named Ross walking around. <laughs> it's, like, the whole thing as I was reading it, I was like, what is it about this that I'm not feeling? It's all very lukewarm. In a world full of dinosaurs, the characters are riding horses. Um the the plot is just kind of eh, all around again the names the colors everything's just kind of you know forgettable for a cool book about dinosaurs this book about dinosaurs is not very cool that's too bad everyone loves a good dinosaur book i certainly do yeah so big thumbs down how many stars uh I'll, i'll give it two because it's not horrible um pick it up read it you might actually like it it was just you know i was expecting something a lot better all right so uh avoid neozoic but i've got a title that i think everybody would really like and that's from marvel that's secret invasion number one. Ooh, it came out last week and i gotta tell you i don't read a lot of marvel but i was hooked by this now brian if you don't know what a scroll is you were asking about this last week it's a race of shape-shifting aliens from another world from the scroll home planet in a distant uh, destination uh that can or have been or what's been implied over the last several years they've been replacing marvel heroes so issue one kicks off with you kind of have to know a little bit about what happened during civil war and uh the the fallout between the heroes that want to register and heroes that don't but essentially a bunch of heroes go to the savage land which by the way has dinosaurs in it Rawr, dinosaurs cool. yeah and they discover a scroll ship that has crash landed and guess who's coming out of this scroll ship? Marvel heroes from the 70s. You got Luke Cage with his uh, headband on saying Sweet Christmas. And you got the White Queen in her old uh, uniform. You've got Iron Man showing up. You've got Captain America showing up. You've got Thor exiting the ship. You got Beast exiting the ship. And they're all wondering what the heck's going on. And they come face to face with their current status counterparts. And then I got to tell you, all heck breaks loose as the skull scrolls launch a simultaneous attack on every major hero installation in the marvel universe uh the big question is who's a scroll who's not a scroll the only one that's confirmed at the end of the issue is uh hank pym uh who we actually see turn into a scroll but oh man this was an excellent excellent uh read by brian michael bendis the art by uh lionel Yu, which a lot of people have hated over the years i think is is really really good i give this one five stars Ooh, I got a question for you about this book. Okay. Uh, can you tell me if... Uh, I mean, I, we, you guys have talked on your show before, and by the way, I'm a huge fan of this every week, but well, thank uh, you. you guys have talked before about how sometimes timelines and story arcs get a little skewed because someone wants to get real weird or creative with one of the characters or one of the books, 
and it will mess with what fans previously thought was the correct timeline somewhere else. And my question is, so these scrolls of these guys been around for how long and how, you know, was, was much of the civil war fought and, 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 uh, you did a lot of that happen with heroes we thought were normal, but really they were alien imposters or how are they explaining that or, or, or even, are they even bothering to do that? They haven't got to that yet, but they're going to have to address it because this is like the third or fourth huge major story arc, uh, that goes in a row from, from Marvel. And so they're going to have to address these things. Obviously, there's a Spider-Man that came off the ship. Does that negate the whole uh, one more day, brand new day thing with uh, selling his soul to Mephisto? Uh, There's an Iron Man that's getting off. Uh, Is he really Tony Stark or is the Iron Man that we've been seeing? Is he really a scroll in disguise? Why is Thor getting off? Is Steve Rogers really dead? I mean, these are questions that are going to be answered. But Brian Michael Bendis, Bendis, at the end of the book, there is a good four or five pages where Joe Casada kind of goes in and talks about how this came about and how all the titles that Brian Michael Bendis has been writing over the, the last couple of years, he's actually been putting Easter eggs into the stories so that you can actually go back and see, oh, here's a big scroll hint if you were paying attention. Oh, that's kind of cool. I do like that. So on the one hand, uh, hardcore Marvel or hardcore fans will probably need to know all the back issue stuff. I barely followed along with Civil War and I was able to pick up pretty much right into the story and, and didn't have a problem. Now, I don't know who all the characters are, but there you go. From from the little that I've seen of it, basically within the first few pages, you can say, oh, okay, here's the bunch of heroes that were on this side and on that side on Civil War. Like, you, you can get a lot of that. I just think the Hulk's going to get really upset, you know, because he landed and he wanted to bash everyone and half the people he was beating up were scrolls. Yeah, so I, I highly so recommend... Go ahead. Well, are, are the scrolls responsible? Are they the Illuminati? Are they responsible for shooting him off into space? At least one of them, Black Bolt, is also a, uh, is also a scroll. The only scrolls that we know for sure, Electra, Black Bolt, and Hank Pym. Um, other than that, at this point, it's all Red Scare time. It's all who do you trust. It's, you know, let's, let's take it back to the 80s. Wow. I mean, did Moon Knight step off or no? I don't know. <laughs> Dang it. Because I love me some Moon Knight. I hope he's not a scroll. Here's hope. I don't think he did. I saw the the that uh, new cover that they're relaunching it with, and uh, he was not there. There was that kind of shoulder of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So I think they try to get everyone in, even if they're trying to like hide a couple of them. I don't think Moon Knight was one of them. No. Mm. No. All right, All right, Brian. It's time to get nasty on a title this week. For well, I've, let, yeah, I've got, let's just I've do got it. A few things. I got uh, lucky and went through and saw a few titles this week, and uh, by mistake, I took a turn down the kitty aisle. Um, I read Marvel Adventures Hulk. I didn't have any idea that this is aimed, the Marvel Adventures line apparently is aimed at younger kids. Um, so I not only read the Hulk, I read the, the version that they do of Spider-Man. Um, ah. Essentially, these, these books are aimed, I think, at the uh, adolescent reader, uh, maybe not as young as things like Super Friends over DC or even the Justice League Unlimited, uh, which, if you've been listening, you know my son's got a subscription to. But these were somewhat along the lines of retelling of original stories from both Spider-Man and from Hulk. They kind of have that feel, that kind of innocence. The, they've got a modern look. They look good. I think the art on both of them was was pretty good. It's not 
you know, it's not beautiful, but it's really good, I think. And uh, the stories, while they're a little bit contrived, especially the Hulk, uh, I mean, anytime a title has a pet monkey running around, you know that it's not going to be your normal aimed at the regular regular readers kind of thing. But um, let's start with Hulk. Hulk is uh, Bruce Banner. They're, he and Rick Jones and this monkey are traveling <laughs> to try to find to try to find an amulet. And this amulet will help him control the monster inside. It helps to stop the unstoppable force. Well, they enlist the help of Kane Marco, who they don't know is Juggernaut, to help them find it. And, of course, they find it. And he's been looking for this to destroy it. This is the amulet that would allow somebody to actually stop him, the immovable force of the Juggernaut. Um, and a battle ensues, and, of course, the Hulk shows up and fights the Juggernaut, um, you know, immovable force our irresistible force and immovable object, uh, and it's a good battle, and, you know, there's not a lot of violence in it, as the title aimed at young kids is not going to have. Um, in the end, the Hulk uses his brain to defeat Juggernaut, and in the end, they get away, and in the, in the end, we see the Juggernaut's not actually hurt terribly. He's going to be fine. So I think all the things that you're looking for, if you have young kids, uh, are there. There's a kind of a nice moral of the story that Hulk learns that not uh, just smashing things is the way to win this battle. We don't see anybody seriously hurt. The art is good. It's not talking down to the kids. And so I, I thought that uh, Marvel Adventures Hulk, I gave it three, three and a half stars with an asterisk, knowing that this is not aimed at probably you, the listener. It's aimed at your kids. Um, moving over to the Spider-Man, it was pretty much the same thing. I would say three and a half stars. Spider-Man encounters a swarm of bees that collects itself into a person. No, this is not the 1980s uh, uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friend story that we were talking about last week. Is it? <laughs> oh, it, it, is there a version where somebody remember when we were made talking, out of bees? Remember we were talking last week uh, or the week before, before the show started, and we were talking about Spider-Man and his amazing friends, the cartoon series from the 80s, and this meteorite crashed down. And uh, this character came out, and and these bees started forming around it and became a sentient being, and his name was Swarm. Swarm! Swarm! This is the same character. Oh, my God. Awesome. That is awesome. But no furniture turns around, and then there's hidden computers in this episode. So well, you lost you know. me. <laughs> yeah, oh, dude, bees that become a dude or a dude that uses bees. I'm sign me up. I don't care if it's for yeah. kids or monkeys. I'll, I'll read it. <laughs> well, it's it's a pretty good read. I think it's a little bit more. It seems a little bit more adult than the Hulk did. The Hulk seemed a little simplistic, but uh, again, I think it's got all the earmarks of something that's aimed at kids. It's not terribly violent. There's not. Um, you know, you don't see blood or anything like that. Uh, we got a little story of Peter Parker being harassed by Flash Thompson, and of course, he turns around and saves Flash and his friends from Swarm, uh, who is using them to feed the Queen. And and then at the end, there's a there's a nice little piece at the end where one of uh, Flash's friends kind of corners Peter Parker and apologizes, and then Peter thinks that hey, they're going to be friends, and then he realizes the guy's left to go buddy around the Flash again. So. You know, somebody's thinking along the lines of what I've talked about before, that a story, you know, it should have a little bit of a moral, and, and there should be something that happens and teaches kids a little bit. It doesn't have to be heavy-handed. It doesn't have to be, you know, something like uh, 
you know, something the kids are going to turn off or go, hey, they're trying to teach me something. But I think they did a good job with this. And I think, again, three and a half stars. Um, the art is nice. Uh, it's very easy to read. Um, you know, not giving it really high points for character development or plot because they're written down a little bit. But I think they've got a good line here. And I, and I would probably myself be more interested if uh, my son had a subscription to one of these than I am with right now Justice League Unlimited, which has been really hit and miss uh, kind of all over the board. Well, let me ask um, you, Brian, did you share yeah, this? Did you share this with, with Jackson? No, actually, I, I came across these things like I always do about the, uh, the weekend, and by the time I look at these and then figure out what they are, I really don't have time to, to really share them with him, but you know, I might ask him if he's interested. If, you, if you're a listener, you know that he's interested in Pokemon more than anything else. So if anybody's got a Pokemon cart- comic book that's aimed at kids his age, then we'll probably sign on. But I think he would be fine with these. Um, these, these do have a little bit more um, violence than things like Super Friends or, or Justice League, but I don't, you, you don't see anything. Um, they're, they're, just, they're just better, I think, at dis- so I think I think it's a good book. I like I like both of them. Um, and, and Scott, let me ask you: You've got a, a young son. Does I he do. read comic books, or are there things that you try to uh, keep him away from, like violence or scary monsters or that kind of stuff? Well, he loves comic books, and uh, every every year we do free comic book day, and it's his favorite day of the year. He just absolutely loves it. I, I gotta say this: I am really happy with what Marvel is doing lately. Um, they seem to have this initiative to bring kids back into comics. Because the truth is, it's where it all started in the first place, and it's where we were all introduced to it. And even in the Gold and Silver Age, I mean, all these other times during comic book history, it's all about the kids back then. And I, as much as I love a good mature comic book, and we're going to talk about one in a minute, um, I love that there's stuff that my son can get at age seven and really absorb and gain an appreciation and a like for some of these characters so that as he gets a little older and develops into, into more complex storylines and more... Uh, you know, deeper plots and things, he's able to, to grasp onto that stuff. And I think it's a great initiative, and I think it pays back. You know, it, they won't see the benefits of doing this for probably a decade, but there'll be a new generation of readers who, who grew up on this version of Hulk and Spider-Man that, that are now, you know, happily buying Marvel books. I think it's a brilliant strategy. Okay, Brian, let's, let's move out of the kitty aisle. Let's talk about the foundation, issue number four for Boom Studios. If the first issue was all about intrigue and the second issue was kind of about uh, some exposition, issue three became nothing but wordy dialogue. How would you describe issue four that comes out tomorrow, Wednesday? Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, uh, this is the one where, boy, this started out really strong. Really loved book one, really loved book two, kind of trashed book three, because book three really seemed to me just to be, let's restate all of the story, bring everybody up to speed, uh, very wordy, all this stuff. It, it really has devolved into just an action book and not a good action book either, in my opinion. I kind of um, said it was kind of like a, it, it turned into a farce of itself almost. It, 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 and you know what's going on now is what Rodrigo pointed out. The worse the story gets, the more I notice how horrible the art is. And I, I agree. think it's getting worse every issue. I, I mean, agree. The, the, the expressions on the face, it's getting simpler, and it really does look like uh, there's, a, there's a shot of him hiding in a trench after the ambush at the end of the last book. He's in a trench, there's dead bodies laying around, and really it looks like this came from some high school art fair. It, it's just not, it doesn't really look good. Um, 
in the first couple issues, I thought it worked really well. It was a very smart book, and so I gave them a pass on the art, as I usually do. As this has gotten worse, the art seems to either be more of an eyesore or, or something. But it's, it's just now it's just a chase. Um, I don't care who set them up. They, they had the ball rolling with all of this great intrigue. And, and you know, I, uh, uh, just like, uh, gosh, I'm going to lose my train of thought. The, uh, oh, what was the Dan Brown book that was such a big deal? Oh, Da Vinci uh, Code. Da Vinci Code. You know, with all these little secrets and things like that, the first two books seemed to promise that we would have little secrets and, you know, oh, this isn't what people think it is, it's this, because we were involved and we changed the history of what was supposed to happen, and, and it's completely lost that. The last two books have completely lost all that magic, and I don't care anymore. Um, I might read the last one just because I'll get a chance to read it without having to buy it. Um, but this really is, uh, I've never seen somebody drop the ball this bad. Would you say, this, this is like, would you say that like it had a kind of a cool premise and they were setting all this stuff up and then kind of proceeded to ignore it? Yeah. I mean, the, the first, the first book I think is really good, uh, because they just jump into these people doing, and if, if you haven't listened to it, the first book is the, the group uh, trying to divert someone from getting on an airplane because this person was prophesized by Nostradamus to have some kind of positive impact on society. So he can't get on that airplane, which Nostradamus had prophesied was going to crash. We get right into it. They do it. We don't understand what's going on. They kind of fill you in as we go along, and it's very well done. Uh, the second book is where they tell it. They introduce us to the organization, why they do what they do, how they do what they do, and then Book three, there's nothing but this, um, they're on this covert operation, that's all it is, and there's a lot of standing around and talking about it. This one, there's been an ambush. It's obvious to anybody reading the book who the bad guy is without any kind of aha moment. Uh, and, and it's just not good. It, it really, I don't know what happened to him, I don't know what's going on, but I would say just, if yeah. you haven't picked it up, pick up pick up the first one. I think the first one is a self-contained, somewhat story. The I would agree. Is really good. I would agree. But really, the thing yeah. that the thing that troubled me the most is, uh, it's like the first two pages of the issue were all kind of retelling what happened at the end of last issue, and then we're cutting back to what's going on at the headquarters, and then we're back to uh, uh, what's his name out in the field, and then. All along, all the narration blocks that we've had in all the other issues have been the internal monologue of the central character. Well, now this time, about halfway through the issue, all of a sudden the narration blocks turn into an omnipresent narrator just telling you what's going on. Yeah, yeah they, they, th this was somebody that had a, hey, let's, th this is a great idea, and it was a great idea. They just didn't have a good enough story to fulfill this idea. And, and like I said, it's getting to the point where I don't care. They had me. I don't care anymore. I don't care what ends up, because they're only, they only have one book left, I think, right? Right. In this series. There's no way they can pull this out. And, you know, there's no... Even if they do, even if they have a great ending, it's going to feel like such a cheat that they had two books in there. In between, there were such duds. I'm giving this one a... Two out of five. Yeah, I gave it a two out of five. I gave the one before this, I think, a two. I'm going to look here. I think a 2.5. They're going down. 
and uh, I don't know what they're. I, it, I will probably read the last one just because I'm going to be interested in how it ends, how badly it ends. Pull it up, Foundation. You're you're entering Shadowhunter territory. Yeah. <laughs> well, Shadowhunter was. I'll uh, give Shadowhunter the nod on better art. Yeah, I don't know what the art. art was. Just so. I don't know. Compared to the first issue, it was so. So bad. I, I, it's hard to explain. You really, if, if you guys want to go up to the website, I've got the first four or five pages of the uh, issue up that you can read, and you can kind of see what I'm talking about with the art. It just is like, I don't know. It's just weird. That's all I can describe it yeah. as. It's very it's hard weird. to tell which character is which. It's hard to tell what yeah. the action is. It, and, and, and there's a couple, you know, in the first couple issues, there's neat tricks. You know, the guy, his, his eyes are always in shadow, or half his face is always in shadow. But when you do that every time, it's not cool anymore. And, and it gets old, and you can't, you really can not tell sometimes who's who. There's this whole scene where there's these two women back at headquarters. One of them is going to find a briefcase. One of them is talking to our agent, Valentine. I could not, and, there, and this, these panels are on the same page, I couldn't figure out if I was seeing the same woman right. doing these two different things. And it's just, it, I don't know, you know, I, I think it's a style. I don't think they're, you know, I think they're doing this on purpose. I think it's a pared-back style. But it's becoming cartoonish. The expressions that people have are exaggerated, kind of cartoonish looking. And uh, it, it, this all comes down to they've dropped the ball on the story. Well, let's hope and, that and uh, issue five wraps it up nicely and actually hopefully redeems itself. Yeah, but otherwise, yeah. Okay. Scott Johnson, we asked you to review a, a comic book, and I know it's, again, one that, that you found up on Major Spoilers, and I know you rushed out to the comic book store the first day that it arrived. Why don't you fill us in? Yeah, I will. I, I'm, uh, I'm an absolutely uh, enormous fan of Stephen King's Dark Tower series. Um, I love some of the other things Stephen King does. The Stand is one, and, and there are other books. But the Dark Tower series is one of my favorite series of all time, if not my favorite. I, I love it. Uh, can't get enough of it. I think the first and fourth books are genius. Everything else is great. Um, I, I, it always struck me as something would make great movies or great something, and it turns out that great something is comic books. Um, and Marvel put out uh, the first series, which was called The Gunslinger Reborn. Or no, Gunslinger Born? Do I have that right? Yes. One of those Born. two, yeah. But, uh, yeah, whatever it is. I, I can't believe I don't remember that. But anyway, uh, the artist is Jay Lee. Uh, some of it is written by Peter David. There's other writers. They basically adapted what is essentially the fourth book in the Dark Tower series, uh, a book called Wizard and Glass. And uh, it is my favorite book, uh, or one of my favorite books of the series. I love it in the first one the most. And that book is, is more or less a flashback for Roland and other characters uh, in this Dark Tower universe. And it tells the story of a young gunslinger, of a young Roland as he's being trained, as he's sort of fighting with youth and trying to become a man. And it kind of covers this very interesting story arc and fills in a lot of holes. I, I'm not sure I'd call them holes, but fills in a lot of stuff from the books that, that you weren't sure about or there weren't definitive answers about or they'd make mention of a character and you never knew who that guy was and it sounded kind of compelling but the book moved on well the comic book took some time and went back and and fleshed out some of those characters and so uh it's a it's a it's a it's a really great i wouldn't even call it a retelling i would say it's a really great sort of illustrated companion piece to the original wizard and glass book uh book four of the dark tower series uh jaylee's art is perfect 
uh, both in tone and uh, in style. I think I think they, they picked the perfect artist. It's very stylized, very interesting to look at. It is not your typical, you know, cape and cowl sort of adventure. Um, even though, even though he's done some good work in that way, this is what I, I think some of Jay Lee's best work. Yeah, I um, I picked up the first couple issues of it solely because of the art. I just saw it on, and this was this was actually after like a two year drought of me just not buying any comic books. I saw it up there, and I was like, "This is awesome! I gotta buy these two." Yeah, it's 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 really stunning, and um, one of the things that I love about the book, and I know this is true of a lot of books, but there's a lot of stuff at the back end of the book where they explain some of the lore and some of the the legend behind a lot of the things you see, and it really goes into detail into stuff that you never got out of the book, and so this was like a gift to Dark Tower fans. It was like, okay, first of all, we're gonna we're gonna tell this story, and we're gonna give it all kinds of depth and texture, and we're gonna show you some things you didn't get to see before. But then we're also going to tell you about the legend of this whole this world and what's happening here and and uh, what you know what Roland's role is in all of this and and it's it's stunning some of that stuff. That's some of my favorite parts of the series. Now I understand that they have uh, there's a second series out. I haven't picked it up at all yet. Yeah, the uh, uh, it's the Dark Tower, the Long Road Home. Is yes, the, uh, is and the I next don't know. Series. I don't even know what they're covering in this one. I did hear an interview with Stephen King, and they didn't get really into it. Uh, however, I'm very excited to pick it up and catch up on it. Um, if this first series is any indication, I'm going to love the second series. I'm going to give this first seven series or seven issue arc uh, four and a half out of five. If I can do that, can I give halves? Yes, you can give halves. Why? why I'm would you? It a four and a half out of five. I loved it. It is my one of my favorite things I've read in years in terms of comic books. This is not for kids. Definitely got some uh, some mature stuff in here. In fact, at first glance, you might go, "Well, this would be a DC book or a dark." horse book or something like that it's definitely a little darker vertigo uh, yeah very vertigo ish that is true and i uh, just can't recommend it enough for those looking for you know a great story and some really really great art yeah I'd, I'd like to add that i actually haven't read any of the dark tower books and i really i i've been enjoying this series i've only picked up the first couple but i've thumbed through the other ones at the store um i i, I think this is a great series well, yeah, I'm glad you agree. And there's there's some characters in there that are just unforgettable. I mean, there's, you know, uh, I can't even remember his name now. Dang it, the Jonas character, who's basically <laughs> a, a hitman. Uh, he is one of the greatest characters in in fiction and now in comic books. Uh, I just think he's a great villain and uh, definitely worth anyone's time if they're looking for a good, mature, but uh, excellently crafted book. Excellent. So there's our, our reviews for the week. Uh, next segment on the list there, Brian, you've got a question for everyone to answer. Yeah, we do. Every week we do a different kind of question. You can go to Majorspoilers.com, take the poll yourself, then talk it out at the forums. This week, uh, this was kind of coming from the dynamic we have here on the show. We were asking, and we would like to know, what kind of comic book fan are you? Are you, A, a closet fan, meaning you don't have any T-shirts or memorabilia and you don't really do anything to call attention to your secret love, which somewhat is me. I love comic books, but I don't really go out and broadcast that kind of thing. Are you the occasional fan who, you know, might sport a, a, a Green Lantern T-shirt like Rodrigo will do occasionally and, and makes no secret of it but doesn't, you know, go out and do things? Or, or and this, this one is Stephen, are you a flaming comic book fan? And, and that's, oh, not, that's him not, for sure, man. That's him for now, sure. I, I, let, me, let me say this. Before you, 
crucify me as a, as a f- in any way. Now, I have person. my secret chamber of comic book memorabilia that you guys have seen, and is up on the on the Major Spoilers website. If you look for the uh, uh, Major Spoilers Corporate Headquarters Tour, you'll be able to see all my geeky stuff. I'll go to conventions. I'll spend lots of money on comics. But, you know, if I walked into a room, people would not say, he reads comic books. Uh, people would look at me and go, really? He reads comic books? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and so there, maybe I'm, there, maybe there I'm a, a closet flamer. Well, there, there might be a, a little area between occasional fan and flaming because you, you don't – I mean, I, I'll be honest. I like Star Trek, and, and my wife would kid me about it. I'm like, I don't own a uniform. That's <laughs> a major – I, I don't own one. I don't have any interest in owning one. I wouldn't wear one. I'm a big fan. I enjoyed the storytelling and I enjoyed the story arcs. But you know, so that's that's we don't see Stephen running around in a Green Lantern onesie, which is not what the yet. You don't. Me of. I think I think uh, the Ooh. edge of of the flaming thing is: Do you have enough comic book related T-shirts that you could dress in one every day of the week and have you? Uh, I would say yes, but Scott, you're our guest. Why don't you go first this week and, and answer the question? Well, I am. Uh, that's an interesting classification. I guess I fall in the middle. I have, I've got a Flash shirt and a Spider-Man shirt and a uh, Batman shirt. Uh, if we're talking shirts, anyway, and I proudly wear those. I have no problem wearing them. To me, it's a badge of honor. It's cool, and I, I, I see. I don't see it at all as as weird or that I'm. You know, letting myself out of the closet or something as a comic book fan, um, and and it's it doesn't bother me at all. However, I am not one of those guys who will dress up like Spider Man and show up at a convention. Um, I just won't do it. Uh, that kind of stuff I'll leave to the to the hardcores, to the Stevens of the world. Let's put it that way. Hey, I'm just hey! Uh, but I'm <laughs> I'm more of a I'm more of a I see the culture of comic books as a super positive thing and something I'm really glad. Uh, that I was introduced to, and so uh, it's, I, I would put myself in the middle there. I'm not so, you know, nuts that I'm wearing, you know, my my sweaty Iron Man suit, but I'm I'm not ashamed of it. I think it's great, and I'm happy to. In fact, I'm wearing the Flash T-shirt right now, and I'm happy to be wearing it. Cool, Brian. Well, I'd probably be uh, the closet fan. Um, just just in, I don't feel comfortable wearing something. I just don't feel that it would be understood in the circle of people I deal with, or you know, like at work or anything like that. Uh, so I'd probably be the closeted fan. One thing I would like to say, and you guys make a good point about this, the person who shows up in the costume at the convention is not to be ridiculed and should not feel like we're ridiculing. That takes a special kind of person. That person is either uh, very self-assured with themselves or just thinks it's a whole bunch of fun and doesn't care what anybody thinks, and I applaud them. I could not do that. I would be sweating bullets. I would feel embarrassed. Not that there's anything embarrassing about it, but that's just where I'm at. I do love comic books, and I love to talk about them, but I would fall into the closet. And I think we need that. I think we need that. We need the hardcore guys in every movement, you know, the guys that... uh, the more conservative guys point to and we're like, ah, go Spider-Man, go slightly chubby Spider-Man, you rule. <laughs> um, I think I would, would, I would pretty much fall in the middle as well. You know, I, uh, worked with Brian for a while and I would bring in my Venom, uh, t-shirt and then stop doing it just because I had to keep explaining to people who Venom was. Um, is it, is it Spider-Man? It's like, well, maybe in the eighties it was, um, 
But um, I also, you know, the same way that I wear my Venom shirt, I wear my T-Rex panel 2 from Dinosaur Comics shirt, my uh, Donkey Kong shirt. You know, I, I think that's just how I dress. I would, I would certainly, I guess, uh, if there was a category between uh, B and C, I would put myself in it. I, I don't think I could ever see myself dressing up in a costume unless I was going as one of Scott's uh, fat superheroes. Uh, oh yeah, because that's exactly what I would look like—just a poor, poor. You would be welcome man. to do that any time if I, you'd like. I could model one right after you. People yeah, would yeah, just, uh, yeah, the Superman, the Superman with the belly, man, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like Batman after a a binge of donuts. Uh, I'd probably have to make sure that I had donut powder on my suit yeah, just so yeah, that I could yeah. sell the idea. And then yell at people awesome. when they're like, "Hey, Batman!" You're like, "No, no, fat Batman." <laughs> yeah. Now speaking fat of speaking of Fat Man, and I mentioned Scott your um, your Fat Superhero series, which I love. I think that's probably one of the most hysterical things I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if that's how I got in- interested in your site, or actually, I know I got interested in you and your podcast because that was one of the first podcasts that I ever subscribed to or ever listened to way back in the day. Um, but yeah. I'm amazed you've got quite an art skill. You're doing this. Uh, uh, sketch a day program. You've got the fifty six geeks, which we'll talk about in a little bit. You've got your fat superheroes. What what is your art background? Well, uh, that's a that's an interesting question. Um, ever since about age six, all I wanted to do was draw, and um, a big part of that was drawing superheroes and drawing Superman and Batman and doing their thing. And uh, like any seven six seven year old, I was pretty terrible at it. And but I loved it. I had real passion for it. And I kept at it. And as I went through school, I, I had some really influential art teachers who taught me a lot about just sticking with things and, um, you know, how to make yourself better. And um, that just kept growing and growing. And it, it quickly became, well, this is obviously the thing I want to do. I mean, it's all I, it's all I enjoy. And uh, went to college, went and studied graphic design, commercial art, illustration. And that was huge. Um, a lot of people will be surprised, but the number one influence on my comic strip was a life drawing class I took where we had to draw a bunch of uh, naked people. Um, as, as weird as that sounds, it's, it, it was one of the most invaluable classes I, I ever took and still influences my work today. Um, what I love about things right now is even with my full-time gig, I do a lot of artwork and stuff. The web affords you such an easy way to get your work in front of people. Is, that is, the walls are down, the, the barriers to entry are not there, there are no gatekeepers, you can just be who you want to be and do what you want to do, and that is so liberating, and I, I can't say enough about the time we live in, this is just the best time to be a guy who wants to draw and get his work in front of people, and I'm... I, you know, I, I, it's just I can't look back. It's this is a whole new world, and I'm in it. Well, that's that's kind of interesting because I was going to ask why did you decide to go the web comic route instead of trying to get into a Sunday circular or a syndication or something like that? Well, like any cartoonist, when I was a kid, I grew up with nothing but the desire to be syndicated in my head. I thought that was the ultimate goal for everyone, and I would not stop until I had a comic strip in every newspaper in the country, and that was going to be my goal. What's changed? Uh, the landscape itself has changed by virtue of the internet, but it's no longer, it doesn't really have the luster it used to have. You sign away the rights to everything you do. Uh, they get paid very little, actually. There's only a, a choice few make really good money from their, from their stuff. Uh, Jim Davis, uh, you know, Burke Breath, there's others who, who've made good money. Gary Larson continues to make good money, even though he hasn't drawn anything in 20 years or something. Um, but they're the rare cases. Um, they are just kind of slaves to the syndication system. And 
It is so hard to get in there. Um, you either need to know somebody at a syndicate or you need to be so unbelievably obviously perfect for what they're looking for um, mm-hmm. that they bring you in. And the web made that even more painfully obvious because suddenly you're like, you know what? I don't need this. I can do this another way. I can make my own money, make my own audience, decide my own content. Um, I don't have to answer to an editor. I answer to myself. I answer to my readers. And that's huge. That, that was an easy choice. Uh, but in a way, it's sad. I feel like a little piece of my childhood kind of crumbled away. Well, you said that this is the opportunity to make a lot of money. So obviously, you're doing MyExtraLife.com full-time, and you're kicking back on all the residuals you're making off of off the website. <laughs> is, is that what I'm well, hearing you I, say? I, I wish. My wife keeps saying, you need to just make this jump and make it for good. And the truth is, if I just could get the fear out of my head. I mean, I've got three kids. Three kids, two cars, house payment, you know, all the stuff we all worry about. And uh, jumping into this full time, I know that it can be done and that I could do it. The question is when. And um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that for sure. But I do know that it's coming. I know I'm closer than I've ever been. And ultimately, I will, try, I will do this because I don't want to be 65 years old and go, man, I wonder if I would ever worked out if I had tried to do that on my own. Well, you, I just can't be left questioning that at some point in my life. So it, it'll come. It's not here today, but it'll come. I mean, you've only got, like, what, five years left before that 65 rolls around? <laughs> yeah. oh, no, uh, just ouch. kidding. Just kidding. Actually, you know what? Uh, Brian is the oldest one here among all four of us. So. Yeah, hey, and I'm a little. Why do we keep bringing that up? Every <laughs> yeah, it comes up every week. Every week it comes up. I know. Well, it's, Brian, it's, it's, I it's think I'm actually a little younger than Steven, so I don't know where I yeah. fit within the pantheon of you guys. So you're but. number three on the list. I, I actually poke fun of Brian's age, so nobody pokes fun of my weight. There you go. So then, if you're going to make this jump and just do extra life full time, how do web comic artists make money? I mean, there's obviously people like Penny Arcade and uh, Scott Kurtz with PVP and uh, Control Alt Delete and uh, you know scores of other ones out there. How do people make money with web comics? I mean, it seems very lucrative until you realize that. How do I monetize this? I'm not getting paid from an editor. I'm not you know the the Department of Internet Revenue is not uh, standing in line <laughs> to give me yeah. money. Good thing that, that too. That is true. That is true. This is this is free content. And people expect it to be free, and people do not expect to go and have to subscribe to such things. And they, and they just plain won't. The model isn't always that clear, though, and I think it's still working itself out, much like podcasting and, and other things. And um, my experience is that, you know, we're all dealing with the same sort of things, and we're having to be creative. The Penny Arcade Expo is a great example of Penny Arcade jumping out and doing something different and new that does make them money. Um, and it's a, it was a great move uh, on their part. For the most part, I'm, I'm in the boat. Many web cartoonists are, which is the money I do make, and it's better this year than ever before, is through advertising, sponsorships, uh, selling prints and artwork online, selling T-shirts. Um, once you have sort of a critical mass of readers, they become very loyal. And part of that loyalty is they're willing to help support in any way that they can. And, and one way that they can is to buy a print here or buy a t-shirt there, they get something of value out of it, and it, it you know, sort of adds to my bottom line. And, and I think that it's a numbers game. The more readers and listeners that you have, the more of those folks are going to want to jump in and, and help support you. The trick is to give them things that are support-worthy and things that are actually worth their money, and, and that's, uh, that's gone pretty well for me. The 56 Geeks Project and others have, have, uh, you know, have really paid off that way. So... You said you had thirty five thousand or so earlier. Unique is that thirty five thousand, forty thousand? It kind of fluctuates. A uh, That's those a day. Daily a week. uniques. Okay. It's pretty pretty good numbers. 
Um, they're not. Uh, they're not penny arcade numbers, but they're you know they're they're pretty solid. I'm pretty happy with it. Well, let me just run down a list of some of the ways that other web comics or other web cartoonists. I don't know how you like to refer to yourself. Um, uh, we call ourselves. I don't even know artists. other uh, dudes that draw stuff. Okay, so let me run down some ways that people have made some money. And just real quick, give me your your quick impression. Micro payments, paying you know slight pennies per article or per content. In, uh, Internet's not ready for it. There's no way, if there was a way to tap right into people's money reserves and say, yes, I would like to uh, throw two bucks at this website, which will give me so many micropayments, uh, that would be great. But there isn't an easy way to do that. And until there is an easy way to do that and a secure way to do that, micropayments, no, no good. What about subscription services? Uh, subscriptions are essentially dead on the Internet. I can't think of a good subscription model. The only subscription models that work are when you have something that everybody absolutely must have and, and wants and you're the only source for them to get it, then you can maybe do a subscription model. Other than that, and I'm talking news, comics, podcasts, whatever it is, that ain't going to work. And you don't have any ha lead hacksaws knocking at your door? True. No lead hacksaws. And you don't want that anyway, especially the elite ones. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about donations? I noticed you have a PayPal donation button on your site. Yeah, ton donations are a pretty viable way to do things. Um, people will just out of the blue... You know, send you money sometimes, and sometimes you can give them incentives. You know, right now, if uh, people can have their names mentioned on one of my podcasts, if they donate ten dollars, and and that kind of took off like crazy the other day. Oh, I'm sure. You know, little things like that where they get an opportunity to actually get some value out of what they send their money for is great. And I'll give you one quick example. Um, I have a program on the site where you can sign up for ten dollars you get to have your likeness used in a comic strip. And the way it works is I, there's always, I always call them NPCs for gamers out there, but uh. there's always people in the strip where I, they just need to be faceless, nameless people that are part of the, of the joke or whatever. And I figure, hey, that may as well be you, right? So people will, will do that. They'll send me a photo. They'll send me $10. And then I'll put them in the queue. And, and when their time comes up, we'll, we'll put them in the comics, send them a couple of high-res versions of it, one signed, one not. They can print them if they like or whatever. And it's their chance to have a little history in the comic, to, uh, you know, have a little notoriety that way, and to, uh, to help the site out. And that was awesome. In fact, the only downside was so many people signed up for it that I'm still getting to names that signed up back in, like, December, wow. November. Because when, when did you start this, this program? I want to say it was... Right at October? Uh, no, it must October, have been September, October? Yeah, I want to say it was October, and... <laughs> I just didn't think about it because after so many people sign up, they're only, you know, I do three strips a week. There's only, there's only so many three days in the week, <laughs> you know, to get to it. So people that wanted stuff for Christmas or whatever, they're just now getting theirs done because there were that many people ahead of them. And, you know, I, I'd probably have to redo that a little bit next time we do a round of this. But, but it turned out to be a great way for people to, to participate and more than just say, give me a donation. You know, I actually do some work for them. I give them something back. And, and I think that's a huge part of this. And being creative and coming up with, with ways to do that is what readers respond to. And, and they don't see it as selling out. They see it as a, a chance to help and get something out of it. Well, why don't you talk about – there's two other ways that you've done some merchandising. I think you've done some uh, Extra Life T-shirts and, and some other things. But two other programs that you've done, one I, th I think has probably been fairly successful. And the other one I, I would say has been hugely successful, the um, – uh, the superheroes for you. I've got a print myself hanging up on the wall of of major spoilers. Uh, that is true. Your guy is kind of a big sloppy looking dude. I know. I Thanks a lot, Scott. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I the, yeah, the Heroes for You project was again one of these ideas I had where I thought, well, okay, how can I interact with the community? And one of the ways was to say, hey, tell me your hero. Tell me his strengths, his weaknesses, uh, his age, what his powers are, uh, what his model might be. Tell me all those basics. What if he's male or female? And then I'm going to take your basic information and I'm going to apply my creative uh, poker stick and I'm going to make a, a hero out of him. And I'm going to make him into a big 20 by 30 inch color hero. And he'll be, he'll basically look the way that I envisioned him looking based on that basic information. And they ended up being a pretty big hit. A lot of people really enjoyed it. It cost them $100. They got a print out of it. A uh, nice, you know, photo photo print sent to him right in the mail in a big tube, and uh, you know, a chance to 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 kind of see their idea of a hero brought to life, and that was a really really fun project. It's it's actually on hold right now while I try to catch up on other stuff, but um, a, a whole lot of fun and and something I I look forward to doing again. Well, these first two that you've mentioned have been uh, almost custom works, both the appearing in the comic strip and the the heroes for you, but fifty six geeks. That has something that has gotten you worldwide attention on major newspapers, in magazines, in other podcasts where people are talking about this. Tell us about how 56 Geeks came about and the success that it's had. Well, people always ask first off, how did you come up with 56? And the truth is it was that was how many I could fit in this, in this grid of, of geeks on the size poster I wanted to print and still have it look good. Um, so there's no real significance to the number, but what, what, where that came from was this idea of, you know, wouldn't it be fun to kind of just flesh out some of these archetypes of, of geekery, people that are into comic books, people that are into dressing up like, you know, uh, their favorite heroes and going to conventions, people that like video games, people that like MMOs specifically, people that like all sorts of things. And there's some obscure ones there, some obvious ones there. I mean, everyone knows a good Indiana Jones or a Jedi geek, but not everybody knows a LARPer or uh, you know, a furry geek or some of these like weird, obscure people that are really into something. And I thought, well, it'd be kind of fun to, to put those all together, give a little brief description of them. A lot of them came from, from readers. They provided the, some of the inspiration for that and, and they ended up in the poster and that, um, it was more or less just for fun for me. Cause it just was fun to do. I was looking forward to having my own on the wall and, uh, it was just a really fun project. What I didn't expect was the web exposure it got. It ended up just blowing up and all over the place. Podcasts and, like you said, blogs. and um, dig. It got dug one day, which took the site down, but that's, that's fine. Um, and it, it just went crazy, and I started selling those prints, and they sold super, super well, and they still sell. Um, still do 20 by 30 inch poster versions as well as 9 by 12 small ones, and, and the fans have really responded to that one. And um, you know, I look forward to, to doing projects like that in the future. If, if anyone hasn't seen the 50 Sticks Geeks, first of all, go up to uh, MyExtraLife.com and, and see them up there. But the one that kind of surprised me, did, did you always plan for this to be a poster, or was it just something that, hey, let's see if we can draw 56 different, different geeks out there? It started, the first 10 geeks or so started out as just me drawing them, putting them on Flickr, not really worrying about it. It's then that I figured, hey, why not put this in some printable form? And... Um, you know, let people have their hand at it. So, you know, very early on in the process, um, I, I kind of positioned it that way. It, it, it's interesting as I went along and as I got closer to being done, I was so excited to get that thing finished. And if no one bought a single one of them, it would have still been a very fulfilling project um, for me. And that's kind of how I look at all this stuff. If I'm enjoying it and if I'm finding passion in it, 
there's a decent chance that a good number of other people will, and, and, and that's working for me. Well, I think that there's probably somebody up there for everybody, and, and all of the characters are pretty, oh, you know, generic. I mean, you've got uh, somebody that looks like Brian for the Spartan Geek and maybe Rodrigo hey. for the Lego Geek. But then you actually had Tron Geek using the Tron guy that everyone sees on the Internet, and you actually got a response from this guy. Yeah, in fact, he was just killed on South Park here last week. Yeah, um, yeah he... That was a weird deal because I I did the Tron Geek mainly based on that real dude, that the Tron guy, and uh, to my shock and horror, <laughs> uh, I decided to put the Tron Geek up on sale for eBay, the original ink drawing, and uh, it quickly sold. I can't remember what for eighty bucks, something like that, uh, which is great, and I was excited about it. it. Turns out the guy who bought it is the Tron Geek. That's weird. So, yeah, this guy scooped up his likeness on eBay. Which was a total riot, and so those sorts of things happening are just nice little, you know, nice little bits to find out that the Tron Geek bought your Tron Geek, and to find out that Kurt Schilling listens to your World of Warcraft podcast and wants to come on, or you know, all these little weird things that pop up. I just, I just feel like it comes from, you know, letting your passion hang out there, and, and eventually, you know, you start to see some really neat experiences, and that was one of them. Well, of course, this is a positive experience, but. I mean, certainly fat superheroes have had to have had some backlash from those big companies, right, or not? I'd gotten an email from from someone claiming they worked for DC. I don't know. Yeah, it was DC. And when I first started doing the Fat Heroes Project, uh, I wouldn't call it a cease and desist, but this email was sort of like, you know what, uh, we'd prefer that uh, the likeness of our characters was not some, some, blah, blah, blah. And it was basically a way of saying, don't do this or we could sue you because you're using our, our intellectual property. So that scared me off a little bit, and I quit doing it for a while. But the whole thing's been recently resurrected because I have a lawyer friend who tells me that uh, this sort of parody is totally protected. Mm-hmm. So I've got some ideas and some stuff coming up. You recently saw that new version of Batman. Yeah, love There's it. There's a big story to what that belongs to, and I don't want to give it away just yet. Ooh, cool. Major spoilers will be one of the first places that hears about it. Excellent. So you've got this. You've got your three-time-a-week uh, comic strip. What, what are your plans for world domination, Scott? Well, uh, hopefully my goal is eventually to gas everyone and, and take over that way. That's my goal. <laughs> if that works out. <laughs> but what, what are the other projects that you have going on besides My Extra Life? You've got a couple pod. Well, you've got more than a couple podcasts. You've got... Well, uh, there's, there's the Extra Life Radio, which is uh, one of my great loves and, and the, some of the most fun I've ever had. And you were on last week, by the way, and that was awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. It was good to have you on. Um, we talked about bad superhero costumes, and it turned into a bit of a, a sidekick bash as well, which is sort of hard, hard to avoid when you talk about Robin, and then it sort of leads to you know, ripping on anybody who has a bad costume. But uh, anyway, that was a whole lot of fun. And Extra Life Radio, uh, people can find that at, uh, at myextralife.com as well. Just click on the podcast link. And the other show that I do that actually gets more listeners by far is the World of Warcraft show I do. Uh, every week with Randy Jordan. He's my co-host, and that show is called The Instance. And if you're into Warcraft at all, apparently mm-hmm. that is the place to be. That's what all the kids are telling us. Well, apparently from your numbers, that's the place to be. It is. It's it, That show does about thirty to 35,000 new uh, or, uh, downloads per new show per week, which is, in my mind, a pretty decent number. And, um, you know, we've got good sponsors over there. Just a lot of great stuff happening at the instance. So if you're into World of Warcraft at all, um, I think you might enjoy picking that show up as well. So little odds and ends, things here and there. You know, keep your eyes out for the 42 Robots Project. It's very similar to 56 Geeks. 
Uh, there's, you can find a lot of stuff on my Flickr uh, page as well. But uh, yeah, my goal is to is slowly, you know, build a hole for myself in the ground and die in it because I got too much going on. <laughs> but do you see yourself maybe in the next year being able to walk away from your from your day job and focus entirely I think, on this? I think so. Yeah, I do think so. Um, with some help from the fans and and a little bit of luck and and some good hard work, I think that it's I think it's more than possible and and it will truly be a dream come true. This is what my eight-year-old self wanted to do and it's funny to be here and realize i'm actually doing it and it may not be all applied in the same way it's still the same goal i wanted to be i wanted to draw and i wanted to create and i wanted to produce and here i am doing it and i I think i need to spend more time appreciating the fact that i actually reached the goal and um that eight-year-old me is probably pretty happy right now cool well i kind of hijacked the interview rodrigo or brian do you have questions um, well, one thing uh, go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. Okay. Well, one thing I want to say is that uh, here in town that I live in, we have uh, arts festivals. And have you ever thought about, because I know they bring in artists to uh, actually do work during the festival, but they also bring them in the week before to hold workshops. And I think you have a lot of interesting stuff to tell people about how you are building a business for yourself um, and, and the art. And then what some of the stuff you talked about where somebody can uh, give you some money, put the, put their image into a comic or uh, the Heroes for You initiative. Um, um, and I think those are the interesting things. You could probably travel all summer long in a camper across America. <laughs> My wife would love that, by the way. She would think that was the greatest way to live ever. She's, she's kind of a vagabond that way. But, yeah, I, um, I, I love talking about it, and I love teaching kids about it. It's, it's a, I haven't mentioned this at all during this, but one of my favorite things to do is I volunteer at a couple of local schools, elementary schools, and uh, from fourth through sixth grade, roughly, uh, I'll go into these into these classes with these kids, and I'll teach them how to do cartooning at the very basic level, and and show them some other techniques that maybe advance a little bit, and give them a chance to to be really creative, and then and sort of watch me respond to what they do, and draw a lot on the board up there, and it's seriously, honestly, the most satisfying part of any of this. And um, if I could really have my one goal, it would be to be able to do this full time and make enough money so that I could spend more time volunteering that way, because it is just so satisfying. Uh, to see, you know, and when you walk into a class of fourth graders and you say, everyone raise your hand if you like to draw, everybody does. Yeah. And that changes. By the time they're in high school, two-thirds of them don't give a crap. But back then, they're wide-eyed, ready to go, and they're so excited about this sort of thing. And to be able to influence them that way is just really satisfying, and I wish I could do more of it. Influence or brainwash, Scott Johnson? Gotcha. One, yeah, one, hey, two words, same thing, right? <laughs> now, let me ask you, is, you've got three kids. Do How many of them like dinosaurs? Uh, all three, but mainly the seven-year-old, my son, is huge into di- anything with, uh, to do with dinosaurs. His, his ultimate goal would be a dinosaur with a lightsaber <laughs> fight, fighting venom uh, <laughs> while jumping from the Batmobile. I mean, that's, that's the kind of kid he is. He'd like some big sort of crazy convoluted version of uh, all his little passions in one sounds like my kind of people yeah that's right well this week rodrigo picked out our trade paperback review and it is all about dinosaurs it's called uh, age of reptiles tribal warfare rodrigo tell us about this uh it's a collected i think it was four or five issues and it's collected into a trade right um it's it's a book about dinosaurs um it has no text 
um, it's all dinosaurs um, sort of talking to each other. Well, not really talking to each other, just sort of interacting with each other. Some of them are trying to eat each other. Some of them are working together. Um, kind of, it's it's funny because you look at something like Neozoic, and where the dinosaurs are supposed to be feral and they weren't. In this one, they maintain like the the drawing style is really good. They maintain this sort of ferocity, but they show this sort of intelligence. Especially, there's a pack of. Uh, Dinonychus that hang out together, um, sort of what people would be familiar with as velociraptors from Jurassic Park, um, and they communicate with each other sort of physically, and usually it comes across real well. Um, there are times where it's kind of confusing because there are no words, there are no text boxes narrating anything. I think that's probably the most interesting aspect of this entire tale is that there's no narration, there's no word dialogues, there's really no even dinosaur sounds it's just all told through the the reader's interpretation of the actions that are going on on the uh, on the page brian well i enjoyed this um i took a little while to warm up to it to get into it but i thought this was a really good piece um i i the art style is the kind of very sharp line style that i'm not particularly fond of, but I think it works really good for this. Um, I never had really any problem following the storyline or figuring out what was going on, um, and I just thought it was a really good example of what you can do. It's, it's almost like an example of how you tell a story through pictures, like with television, without doing any narration or any dialogue, and there were just a lot of great places. Once I got into it and warmed up to the idea, there were a lot of great places where, um, for instance, there's uh, the the um, T-Rexes are sleeping, and the Velociraptors come up and steal their eggs. And there's a couple of short panels together where there's there's this obvious they they do use, um, and I'm not even sure what you guys would probably know better what these are called when somebody talks and they draw the lines out of their mouth just to show that they're shouting. Yeah, like action or, lines? Yeah, or, or where one, some of the dinosaurs have the expression of, like, they're fuming out of the top of their head. Oh, yeah. Well, well like stink lines, we used to call them, yeah. Yeah. Well, some of these lines come from, the out, from outside the panel, and, you, and once, once you read the next panel, you realize that's an indication that they dropped one of the eggs, which woke up the dinosaur. And and then there's two panels where where the velociraptor's looking and then it's gone, which two quick panels that show action. So I thought it was really well done. Um, I I thought this was a great example of what you can do without without narration. Just like we talked about last week, the story with Daredevil right. uh, had no dialogue, and then there was also a story in the Hulk trade that I read that had no dialogue. Um, it's it's really a cool way to go. Well, there's a reason why this is called tribal warfare. It's the T-Rexes against the Velociraptors. Uh, you ate our eggs, we're coming to get you. You take one of us out, we'll take two of his out. This is going to be a big battle royale. And that's what it turns out yeah. to be. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it, it is. I, and like I said, I didn't have, um, and I don't think anybody reading it would have any problem following what the basic story is, because it is pretty, pretty clear-cut, like you're saying. The one does something, the other one... Uh, exact some revenge and it just keeps going back and forth if this were a musical it would be west side story and really west side story would benefit from having a bunch of dinosaurs in it really if you think no, about it every oh, life is there's, that is so story. true there's no truer <laughs> thing spoken tonight well no. 
seriously, guys, this this book makes me so happy. Like, I'll, I there are f- very few comic books that I own that I go back and look through on a regular basis, and this one, I just every once in a while I find find it in my bookshelf and I just go back through it. It's a quick, you know, in quotations read because you don't actually read anything. Yeah. Um, there's some amazing action, some great panels. One that keeps coming to mind is um, one of the velociraptors gets knocked out of a ledge and falls in the water. And there's this huge one-page splash panel of this giant aquatic reptile coming to eat him. And the velociraptor just kind of turning around, yelling at it as it's coming. And you don't even see the big chomp, but you know it's there. And it's, it's oh, those and- things that, are, that really make the book for me. And and there's there's not like I said there's expression in the dinosaur faces probably a lot more than there would be of course in nature right. but in that the particular series the Velociraptor appears to be dead going into the water and then it it kind of huh comes up with its head and you can see the shocked surprised look on its face so it's really clear what they're they're showing you as far as the story goes but yeah I just I I I really enjoyed it once I got into it there's initial kind of easing into it because of, uh, for me, the way it looks, and also you don't know exactly what's going on, but once you get past that, I think it it fits really well, and, it, and it's done really well. I, I just was not a big fan of uh, Ricardo Delgado, who's the artist of, of this series, and he's also the writer, even though there's no actual writing in the piece. Um, I really like his art, but I re- really wasn't a big fan of his imparting human characteristics into the animals. You know, there's this one part where the velociraptors are walking, and one of them pauses for a moment, and then it's like you look at the lead raptor, and he kind of motions with his hand, like, come here now, and then the other yeah. velociraptor then looks sad and then continues on with whatever mission. That was probably the biggest letdown was this imparting of the human characteristics in- into these creatures. I think, um, and in the end, um, I'm not giving this five stars and i think part of the thing is that it in being such a cool thing it's also sort of limits itself you know you can't make them too human but if you don't make them human enough then people won't relate to them Mm -hmm. so he's always walking this very fine line back and forth and i think sometimes he like tips over one side or the other honestly yeah I, I did like the uh, the ironic ending. You know, here it's the T-Rexes and the Velociraptors battling it out over the, the, the destruction of, of these eggs. And yet at the very end, the T-Rex comes home and here's this little uh, mammal chewing away at the last egg that was left over. And, and just that shocked expression on the on the T-Rex's face of wah, wah, wah. Yeah. But, but you know, the in, you think about the ending of it. They, they, both of these two in their fights end up destroying themselves. Right. And, and their battle and their conflict ends up, uh, they end up in a fight on the nest of the Velociraptors, which is this huge structure that's precariously on the tip of a, uh, a mound of rocks, apparently. And the whole thing comes crashing down and essentially kills everyone except for the big T-Rex. And so, you know, when you say he didn't write it, I think he did write it. I think there's a good story and he had a moral um, he didn't have to through writing dialogue and things like that, but I think he conveys a, a good story all the way through. And as far as the imparting of the human characteristics, I think you have to. I think it's necessary in being able to tell the story. And and you don't know. You weren't there. Maybe they were just like that. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was just like that ABC series, uh, Dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. Bottom line, I'm giving it two out of five stars. It's really not my cup of tea. I did read it about three or four times just because I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I really, really dug the art. I think anyone who's really into dinosaurs and Scott, I bet your son would just eat this thing up. 
Uh, I, yeah. I don't think it's too violent, although there are some graphic depictions of dinosaurs getting their heads bitten off. Uh, I'm going to probably let my son read it when he becomes age-appropriate, about seven to eight years old. Um, I love the art, but ultimately I thought there was too much jumping around for a story that could have been told a little bit more directly instead of filling it out with some of the other characters. Well, I'll give it four out of five, and mainly because I think this is a really good example of that style of telling a story without dialogue. Now, I'm not into, I haven't been into the comic books as deeply as you guys. There may be a better example out there, but this, for, from my experience, would be the example I would put up of that particular style and how well it can work. So I think four out of five, I think people should pick it up, should see it, and should experience what good storytelling can be in just the visual form, no dialogue. I'll give it four and a half. Um, I love this book. It's really great. If people out there pick this book up and they like it, I will urge you to go find a book called Gone, G-O-N. It's about this big-headed little dinosaur who's just sort of having adventures around. It's the same thing, sort of no text. I think there are sort of sound effect texts and uh, things like that. Um, It's very similar, also features... A little dinosaur who actually hangs out with modern-day animals for some reason, but that one's a lot more cartoony. But yeah, I love this book. The art is fantastic. The story is simple, yet, you know, striking enough. I I really like it. Age of Reptiles, Tribal Warfare, uh, that's just about the end of our show. We've gone over big time, but that's okay. We had a good special guest, Scott Johnson from MyExtraLife.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being on our show today. So it was a pleasure. I'm a big fan of everything you guys are up to, and uh, I, it's it's the least I can do. And I'm just glad you guys had me on. Thanks so much. What what do you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, MyExtraLife.com will get you to everything. So if you're interested in any of the stuff I talked about, or even just want to see if it's any good, or even if you hate this stuff, hey, there's only one place to go, and it's MyExtraLife.com. And don't forget Nerdtacular too. Big, go ahead, Brian. I'm on a big Hulk tag right now, and so I love the Hulk. Uh, oh uh, yeah, I stubbed, thanks. I stubbed my toe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I've always, I've always thought it's funny if you, to explore how the Hulk gets pissed and turns into the Hulk, and, and at times when he maybe didn't want to. That's one of my favorite joke uh, resources. So that's what you get today, and so it's ironic. We're on a comic book podcast, and you can go look at the Hulk at myextralife.com. And don't forget Nerdtacular Two coming up in July. And please, everyone, tell your friends about the show. We'd really like to get a thousand subscribers in the month of April to really help out the Hero Initiative. Remember, we're giving fifty cents for every subscriber. As of this show, there's hundred and fifty dollars in the pot. Po- we'd like to bump that up to five hundred before the end of the month. All right. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Don't forget to go to the site, Majorspoilers.com. Feel free to drop us an email at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And be sure to get involved uh, in the forum, which you can go to uh, through a link on the Major Spoilers site. Um, Also, you can uh, talk back and forth as to whether you think that whether either any of us are scrolls or not. Um, (laughs) Guys, we know you love comics. We do, too. See you next time. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm gonna 